In the dead of night, as people sleep, that is when the spirits creep. As the bell tolls three, dark things take power. We like to call it the supernatural hour. And now, our hosts. Guess what, guys? What? I have a tapestry. You do? You're kidding. I have a tapestry. Remember how our last podcast, I was like, I want a tapestry. I got one. Tapestry? I do. So I have a friend that called me up and said, and it's funny, because I think it was literally just a couple hours after we had recorded, he sends me a text. He's like, hey, I have a supernatural hour tapestry. Do you want it? And I said, yes, yes, I do. Actually, I mean, I'm paying for it, but at a discount. Really? And Yeah. And now, when you think of a tapestry, what do you think of? A woven, wonderful tapestry, almost like those throws that you get that have the little ruffle things on the ends. Yeah, like the fringy things. I, I think of a tapestry as being very heavy, but this is awesome. It's lightweight. I would, I would probably, I think tapestry is a misnomer. I would probably call this a banner. It's a banner. Or a flag. But it's amazing. It's huge, and it's in our recording studio, so we look all official now. The Attic of Despair. With a tapestry. With a tapestry. I like that. Anyway, I'm pretty excited. So if you have just tuned in, you are at the Supernatural Hour. Excited to be here. So I am Raven. I'm Doc. Chad's here. And Rogue's in the house. Sweet. We have a fun night, so let's get to the business. The business couple of things we are really excited to announce. We are having a dinner and paranormal investigation at Dalton's Steakhouse in Payson, Utah. That's going to be on Saturday, February 20th, 8 p.m. to midnight. And we have got a dinner for us that is going to be terrific. It's a special ghost hunter's dinner that the owner has set up for us. And there's three choices. There's a filet mignon. What did he call it? Oh, what did he call it? It's called the Last Supper because... They were the last people eating supper that night. Get it? Right. It's the last supper, but then the individual dishes well, I'm, are... I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Patience. Patience. Comes with a choice of salad or soup. The entrees are death row filet. Aren't these awesome names? Death row filet. Death row filet, which is filet mignon with potato puree and asparagus. And then there's the Italian job, which is chicken parmesan on red penne pasta. Or there's the Deep Swim, which is a salmon piccata with side vegetables and potatoes puree. Chad and I have eaten here before. We've eaten there a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It takes us about 40 minutes to drive there, and we go there just to eat. It's fabulous. I'm really glad with a name like The Last Supper, we're not doing, like, bread and wine. <laughs> just, you know, sacrilege. Well, it's The Last Supper of the evening. That makes sense. So yeah. what you're saying is come for the food, stay for the ghosts. Yes. Yeah, or come for the ghosts and enjoy the food, whichever you like. Yeah, but you will not be disappointed with this meal. You will not be disappointed with with the haunt. We actually have investigated the salon that's right next door, and it was crazy haunted. And we have actually had a medium say that Payson in general is just one of the craziest haunted places she's ever been to. So Dalton's, is that on Main Street in Payson? No, it's on SR6. Off of, okay. So if you just, yeah, it's just right there by the old theater, if you're familiar with Payson. And the address is on there, and they'll be with the tickets. It's a fun place to, to go and enjoy a wonderful dinner and a ghost investigation. To get there, go to advancedparanormal.com, and off of the upcoming events page, there's a, a link that'll take you right to the Eventbrite tickets, and you can get your tickets there. Because of the size of the venue, we can only have about 20 people. So don't think about it too long. If you're going to do it, do it because you might miss out. But we'll go again. Are the tickets selling fast? We have already sold eight of the 20 available. Halfway there. Half gone. So if you want to go, chop, chop. So we're really looking forward to this. The next order of business is for the Supernatural Hour. We have created a Patreon page. Patron Insiders, Supernatural Hour Insiders, go out to the advancedparanormal.com page, click on the Supernatural Hour, and scroll down a little bit, 
and you'll see a link to the patron page where you can sign up and be a patron if you'd like to help support us with our podcast and the things that we're doing with our investigations and podcast. And we have all sorts of really cool goodies. Yep. If you go out there and click the more button on each one, it lists some. I mean, these include things like tickets for investigations, a special insiders, summer activity that we're going to do. And a mint tin with our logo on it. I like mint tins. They're At cool. different levels, there's different things going clear up to shirts, t-shirts and mug. A very special signed book that was written by Raven, the Piper's Ghost. You'll, you'll get a signed autograph copy of that. And don't tell me about the typos. <laughs> I'm sure We've, there are none. No, and I've had it. I've had it uh, proofread probably ten times. People still call me. There's a typo on page forty-seven. <laughs> uh, so I know there's still typos. Duly noted. Thank you. <laughs> but it's a novel about Scotland and ghosts. It's uh, very good. Raven wrote this and a number of years ago, and we're excited to be able to make this part of the swag for our paranormal people. Keep in mind, my favorite classes in high school were math and science. And English was the most dreaded class ever, but it, it was it was a fun little thing to do. There's a story behind it. Maybe we'll talk about it one of these days. So residentials. Most of our residentials, if you're familiar with Utah, happen in Salt Lake County. Historically, the whole time we've been around since or 2012. Or Tooele. I mean, there's always, you know, the few up in Davis County area, you know. But lately, everything has been in Utah County. Utah County has gotten, like, super creepy lately. I don't know what gives. But everything... We've got a couple new investigators, and they live in Salt Lake County. I'm like, ah, oh, this will be great. Most of them are in your neighborhood. And they're like, yeah, hello, there hasn't been any in our neighborhood since we started. Thanks, right? We're starting to think that there's nothing in Salt Lake County. Everybody moves south. I don't know what it is, but everything has been down here. So We got some new Salt Lake County investigators, and all of the spirits hightailed it out of there. They did. They got scared and moved south. Our investigators typically are from Salt Lake County. Most I know. Of them. So, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just this group of investigators. The first one, they're both in Utah County. The first one was a little further south in Utah County. And it's actually a family that has come with us on some investigations before, so we know them. Mom, dad, two teenage daughters, and they had been, I think they'd been seeing things, they'd been hearing things, creepy feelings. Remind me, I think they would hear some voices. A lot of walking. They would hear a lot of walking around. A lot of walking and a lot of shadow figures. Yes. And so we went back into, they had an office area. And if you remember, and if you listen to our last podcast about equipment, mm -hmm. Rogue had mentioned that I, she's never seen me use my spirit box. So guess what I did? Um, used your spirit box? I used the spirit box. Oh, spirit box. <laughs> we talked about this. We did. Yeah. The spirit box. Rogue. You heard something in the spirit box. I did. So if you're not familiar with the spirit box, the spirit box goes over, is it like 15 different stations? You can you can change it up a little bit, but I think it goes between 7 and 15. Okay. So it's going across a bunch of different radio stations. So to hear a voice, it comes across really clear, and you can tell when you're going through the radio stations, it's very choppy, and it goes really fast. We were sitting there, and... Someone asked the question of who was here, and someone answered us back and said, Dick. And we just kind of sat there, and I didn't say anything. And Deanne goes, did I just hear the name Dick? And I kind of looked at her, and I'm like, that's my dad. So yeah, my dad likes to, with any opportunity, say hi and I didn't want to be the person that says, hey, but once Deanne acknowledged, hey, I just heard that come across, that was a big shout out from dad taking that opportunity the first time we use the spirit box and we hear from dad. Exactly. There uh, we go. I thought that was Face back cool. up to the microphone. But I don't really, we didn't get a whole lot more than that. We really didn't. We played with it for about, I don't know, 10 minutes. Yeah. It, it kind of gets to you, though, after listening to that. Yeah, like I said, it makes you makes me anxious, which is why I don't use it very often. Because yeah. I just it gives me the willies. Ghosts don't. There was a type three, you know, in the house. I guess it wasn't there at the time. Basically, we did the investigation. We took some pictures. We got some pretty cool pictures. We did your phone. We're not going to mention the brand of your phone, but your your phone is pretty spectacular. 
when we look through your phone to take pictures, we are seeing orbs, and I'm not seeing them through my phone. Right, and I would call them tracers, because we've mentioned this before when we talk about it. You kind of look and you see where the dust flow is, and dust is going to kind of creep up and to the right or up and to the left. In a consistent way. Right, you know, and, and you can just kind of tell. And these are these are tracers, and if it's cigar-shaped, it's usually a bug. So you just kind of discount anything that looks like a cigar and bugs. And this but is not so much in January. No, you're not going to get so many. Or inside people's houses. Exactly. <laughs> well, it depends the house. But you can just tell by the way these tracers move that it's not dust and it's not bugs. The only problem is I can't record it. You know, you see it when it flashes and it's in the still pictures. And you don't always, I mean, I'll take 50 pictures. We might only get three that, that show some of these. But when you do get something, it's very there. It's very obvious. It's pretty cool. But it's very interesting when the clients are watching this in real time on your phone as you're taking and clicking in between because they're seeing the, the tracers move. Right. And our next investigation, I will take our new camera that we got. We talked about that last podcast. And hopefully with that infrared, we can get video of the things we're seeing in my, in my camera. Yeah, that, that would be really great. They were coming right at us. Like we would stand there and it was like they were coming right into our faces. That was when we realized how large the porthole in that bedroom actually was. It was a big one. It was probably one of the bigger ones we've done. But they So they had a portal in the parents' bedroom, which we closed that. They had a Type 3 that was not there when we were there, but apparently it did kind of poke its head in every once in a while. It was brought in by one of the daughters in the home who had previously played with a Ouija board, you know, years and years ago, probably when she was in junior high. Yeah, she said in her teen years and she's in her 20s. If you remember on that, he actually, the spirit came to her in her dream. Yes. And we did, we were able to confirm that. So we were able to get a couple of names on that investigation. So we had the name for the type one upstairs was Bob. That's right. When we went downstairs, it was Elliot that was talking um, in her dreams to her. And so we were able to confirm that, and Elliot would follow her to work. That's right. And Elliot was the type 2 that was being used by the type 3 to pester her and, and give her the bad dreams and, and to be a pain. So we evicted him with some sage and salt. I don't think we've done one where we've cleansed the home with the type 3 not there. So I said... Let us know if this type three, you know, pops back in. You'll, you know, as usual, there's going to be some residual stuff going on for about a week, and haven't heard back. So hopefully everything's okay there. I was just thinking you were locking it out of the house. Well, kind of, basically. Like, ha ha! Not coming back in now. And they come back and they're like, But after a while, after a while, it wears off, and they can get back in. But I can see him coming back and you're like, "Let me in." Hello. Dang it! There's salt in the window. So did you cross Bob over? No. He didn't want to be crossed? No, I don't think he wanted to be crossed. He's just hanging out in the in the office, chilling. Okay. Bob the ghost. So then we went to one just a few days later, a little, little further north in Utah County. And this was an interesting one. The person that called me had felt like he had been contacted by a ghost. And at first I thought it was kind of imminent, and we get it all you know, imminent, you know, like yesterday. We get the investigation set up, and then he replied back via email that this contact was actually taking place two years ago. And so I thought, oh, you know, I hope I hope it's not so long ago that we can't figure some stuff out. So we went over anyway, but that was that was really cool too. We actually got a lot of very interesting pictures there. Kaysen was there. He took some video, and I think he got some interesting video. He actually put together a video clip for that. He's really good at editing, so he's going to put together, a, or he has put together a five-minute video clip to send to the client. Have you already seen that? I have not seen that yet. So on this case, we were able to give some answers to a gentleman that I think really needed some answers. This is the one where we found it was his dad that Correct. was trying to get his attention. And I think this kid really needed just to hear that message from his father. Right. The child of the, of the spirit, without going into details that aren't really ours to share, was not able to meet this man was not able to meet his father before he was born. And basically the father just wanted to tell him that he was proud of him and he was with him and watching over him. And it was it was really kind of an emotional evening. Yeah, it really was. So a little bit of a different investigation than we've done before, but it was satisfying. You could tell that that young man really 
needed to hear what his father was trying to tell him. Yeah, I agree. So then last one, and this is another Zoom one. We're becoming Zoom investigation experts. So I was driving home. I get a phone call. And at first I thought it was a telemarketer because, you know, you know asking me, calling me by name. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know your voice. And you've got an out-of-state phone number from the Midwest. And, and I almost blew her off. But then she said, oh, are you from Advanced Paranormal Services? And I thought, okay, this is not a crank call. So we talked for quite some time. And she felt like the spirit was her deceased husband. I told her, I said, we've done one successful Zoom investigation. And I told her, you know, the limitations behind that. And she was fine with that. And so I got home and we started up the Zoom call. And the interesting thing is she had a K2 meter with her. And keep in mind, she's in the Midwest. We're in Utah. So there's a, there's a few miles between us. And so I had my dowsing rods. We told the spirit, we said, if the answer is yes, you know, my spirit guide can cross these dowsing rods into the X for yes, which is what I do. He could light up the K2 at her house. So I said, if the answer is yes, light it all the way up. And he was lighting it all the way up. And you're doing this with a Zoom meeting. So you're seeing the visuals of what's happening at her place. And she's seeing what's happening here. Yeah. So she could see my dowsing rods. I can see her K2 meter because she was holding it up so I could see it. And every time the answer was yes, that K2 would peg all the way to the red at the very same time each time. It was awesome. That's really cool. And I thought, next time something like this happens, I've got to pull out my phone and record it so that people believe me. It was it was pretty amazing. So we were able to get, again, I don't want to go into too many details for her because it was, you know, it was her spouse who hadn't passed too long before. And, a lot, you know, it's a very, very personal, but she was able to get some answers that she needed. It was kind of cool. Do Watch. you want to share what the reason why she reached out to Utah? Oh, yes, actually, it's very interesting. So she'd contacted a few local people not necessarily ghost investigators, you know, some clergy, and just some of them didn't want to deal with her. You know, some of them didn't even want to deal in the supernatural. Some people wouldn't call her back. Some people, you know, wouldn't even respond to a phone call or email. And so she just kept working outwards, outwards. So I did ask her, I said, so, I said, I'm just curious. I said, what brought you to Utah? And she said, well, she said, I remember hearing somewhere that Brigham Young talked about the afterlife. And she thought, if Brigham Young talked about the afterlife, then Mormons must believe in ghosts. So I'm going to call Utah. (laughs) So she did. And I said, yep, I'm both. I believe in the ghosts. She found advancedparanormal.com and Raven. Yep. We we took care of her ghosties (laughs) because I believe in the ghosties. So those are our investigations for this one. And we've actually got a couple ready to go for next time so you can look forward to next podcasts and we actually previewed a possible large event yes and i'm super excited about this one so for a for a public event i don't want to give away too many spoilers but that was awesome right i think we encountered a few things we weren't expecting and a few things we were expecting yes and the food there is amazing too if you go hunt with us you're going to get amazing food Okay, so today we are going to talk about curses. Was it Snidely Whiplash that said curses all the time from the cartoon? Curses. Probably. I don't know. Raven's looking at me with a blank <laughs> blank stare. Was that like Natasha and, was that Bullwinkle? Was that where Snidely was from? I think Snidely was from Bullwinkle. Because that, that was almost before my time. I, I have no idea who Snidely is. Snidely Whiplash, was that his name? Yeah, I might have been with... Uh, it might have been with the Canadian Mountie one, with Dudley Do-Right. I think it was Dudley Do-Right with Snidely Whiplash. All right, I'm looking this up. <laughs> <laughs> this is going way back. Enough of this. All right, so what did you find, Doc? It's from Dudley Do-Right. Woohoo! you win a prize. Uh, Snidely Whiplash. He's a blue-looking dude with a top hat and a cane. Kind of all hunched over a little bit. And, yeah, he likes to tie people up and put them on railroad tracks. Usually the blonde girl. yeah. Looks like it. Well, there's a redhead in here, too. Oh, okay. Perfect. Curses. Foiled again. again. There you go. (laughs) So curses. One of the things about curses that I think is interesting is a lot of people don't think that they're real. A lot of people think that it's fake and just something of stories. We've talked a little bit here and there about how everything needs its opposite. You know, good needs evil. Happiness needs sadness. You think you've got blessings. You've got curses. And on on each side, it's all about intent. Absolutely. So the principles are common? 
they're common and in my opinion anyway the only difference is blessings have good intent curses have bad intent the person giving receiving sending it's all based on your intent someone could curse you and if you have zero belief zero faith in it probably not going to do anything to you yeah i would say you know even with blessings there's a generally a component of ritual right you can have goodwill towards someone or you can have ill will towards somebody but the way that that becomes amplified is through ritual so there are certain ways that people pray to try to amplify blessings. There are certain rituals people perform to amplify ill will, and these would be curses. Right. And I think part of the ritual behind that is to help strengthen the faith behind it. You know, if you don't, if you don't do the ritual, I'm sure it would work if, if you had really strong faith. But let's face it, I think most people's faith wavers from time to time. I know mine does. Maybe I should only speak for myself. <laughs> but I, I think the idea of the ritual helps kind of cement that intent intent, and if there's a ritual behind it I think people are more likely to go oh this is this is real this is a thing right it's not that I don't know that it's necessarily that things need to be carried out in a certain way but it is the fact that you are carrying it out in that way that amplifies right so for example if someone's making a curse I would be more likely to believe it if they came out in like a black hooded cloak with red eyeballs than if they came waltzing in and there were muter shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. You want them to be like dressed up, ready to go. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's the part, guys. Yeah, it's a show. You know, be the actor in the show, as it were. How about when we're not aware of the curse, though? To me, that kind of depends on whether or not you believe it. Think if you're a person that says, "Yeah, you know, I don't believe in this, in this shiz." In general, whatever. In general. However, let's say, we've talked about this a couple podcasts ago, but my cousin actually was cursed by her two ex-sisters-in-law. I think that, I don't think that she believed in curses until we kind of walked her through it. But she was being, they had sent to her a type 3 spirit to pester her. And she did believe in the type 3 spirit. I just don't know that she believed that it was sent to her until we talked about it a little bit. But we've talked about it before. There could be, your house could be full of type threes. And if you don't believe in the paranormal, you might think that, you know, you just had a lot of earthquakes and that's why stuff was falling off your walls all the time. Or, you know, you were sickly and that's why you had headaches all the time. Yeah, I don't know. I really think it just depends on your level of, now, let's say that you have an ex and that ex brought back all of his stuff to you. If you're of the mind of, oh, I think he's cursing me or she's cursing me. And let's say he actually did, and you've got this box of stuff, it probably might affect you. Whereas if the ex just brought the stuff by and and curses wasn't your thing and it wasn't on your mind, probably wouldn't do much. Right. I think part of the power in the curse is convincing the person that they have been cursed. Okay, let's go to the movie that we've, I think we've talked about it here, Skeleton Key with... Goldie Hawn's daughter. I can't think of her name. Kate Hudson. Yes. Okay, and that was very interesting because I don't know if you've seen the movie, and I don't remember if we've talked about this one specifically. On it's the an show. old movie, so if you're having spoilers, it's your own fault. Not it's old. not old. It's yeah, it's not like <laughs> White well, Christmas. Know, but Jeez. It, it didn't. It didn't come out like last year. I mean, it's been out for a couple decades, probably. Right. Does yeah, say about fifteen years? But one of the things that I thought was very interesting in that movie, in order for them to elicit the response they wanted to have. They needed to get her to believe in the voodoo. Right. Okay, and so there was a grooming of her to get her to believe in the voodoo so that they could then do their thing. Right, and that's all part of that ritual or intent, right? Trying to (laughs) continually push that will onto somebody until they believe that the curse is a real thing. Fun movie, though. Very, very interesting when I say fun. Very suspenseful and intriguing and interesting. Right. That's a good movie. So I also think that people can live their lives in a way that open them up more easily to be affected by curses. If If you're doing bad things in your life, you know, the types of things that we talk about that would bring a type 3 into your life anyway... I think you're just you're going to be open for that negative energy, the negative spirits. I think you'd also be more open for those curses. Whereas if you're living a more wholesome life, a more and by wholesome you don't need to be, you know, an avid churchgoer. I mean, if you're a good person and you're honest and you're, you know, charitable and, and doing all these good things, I think you're less likely to be open to 
to curses, whether you believe in them or not. Just kind of my general thought. Did that answer your question? I thought that was wonderful. I'm however, I'm amazing. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> toss a however. No, not really. There's that book that we've all been reading that I don't want to throw no spoilers out there, but there's a few instances where that might not be the right answer. Right. And I am not an expert on curses. And the book she's talking about is John Zaffis's book called Haunted by the Things You Love. And we are going to talk about that as a bonus episode. And the bonus episodes will be available to our Patreons. So that will be a bonus episode. And that book is all about curses and haunted items. Right. Mostly a lot of haunted items. As, as everyone knows, John Zaffis in Connecticut has a museum of haunted items. And this is where he's got Annabelle and everything that he collects on investigations that the people are like, take away from me. He's got them. So, some of these things were from Ed and Lorraine Lauren and their, and their collection or not? I, I don't actually think Annabelle is there because I... F- follow um, Tony Spera and he is Ed and Lorraine's son-in-law and he has Annabelle. He has Annabelle. And John Zaffis is a nephew. A, a nephew. nephew right. And okay. I believe they have separate museums. Okay. I always thought that John Zaffis had Annabelle but I could be wrong. But that is for a different episode. Right. The focus of the book is cursed objects or items. And we're right. kind of talking about just curses, curses in general. Curses in general. But we are not experts on curses. So, you know, there's, we're also not experts on paranormal. We learn and we grow, and so everything that we talk about is new information, and we take it and run with it. It's a practice, right? Yes. We're all just practicing. We are. As I was kind of looking around, I found some interesting curses, and I was reading these, I'm like, each one of these could be an episode all on its own, but we're going to talk about them anyway, because by the time we get to them, you'll have forgotten we've talked about it here, and it'll be all brand new. So one of my favorite ones, because I love everything ancient Egyptian. I think it's amazing. Everyone has heard of the curse of King Tut's tomb. The Pharaoh's curse. Exactly. The idea behind the Pharaoh's curse is anybody who's opened the tomb dies. And everybody that opened King Tut's tomb, they all died in very strange and mysterious and sudden and... I mean, no one lived to be old, old, old. Everyone died younger. Everyone dies. It wasn't because it was opened in like 1929 or something. He died at the age of 97. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... They of all, pneumonia. They all just died in, in you know... And, and here's the thing, is King Tut's curse. Now, we just barely said curses are real things, and it, it depends on the intent put behind them. And as I was doing research, I thought, well, I don't want to teach everybody how to do curses because <laughs> most of the research I could find online was how to do it. And that's not the direction I wanted to go in. But as we've talked Fair about enough. it, it's about intent, you know, and then also the mystique behind it. So, you know, here's the debate. Was King Tut's tomb really cursed or was it on the other end of the spectrum where instead of there's a curse and no one believes in it because they think it's all hokum? Or was this... There's nothing wrong with King Tut's tomb, and they all died because they breathed, you know, organisms. Inhaled a bunch of mold or something. Exactly. You know, so this is kind of a two-sided coin. Okay, right. Doc. All right, Doc. Jump in, man. Well, I'm just saying, I, it's very possible that there are going to be health issues related to... Stagnant to air and 2,000-year-old yeah, tombs. Thousands of years old. And, and I could really see if there were consequences from that, that people would attribute a curse to it, right? That maybe it wasn't that the tomb was cursed, but maybe people got sick and made this presumption that the tomb was cursed. Exactly. I totally believe in curses. I I think that they absolutely are a thing. You know, but at the same time, it could go either way. Here's something interesting, though, that I did not... I think I had heard this a long time ago, but had forgotten about it. But a lot of people think that the sinking of the Titanic was part of King Tut's curse. Oh, really? And how was that? Apparently, they found, and I don't know necessarily King Tut's curse, but an Egyptian curse. But it was under the King Tut thing that I was reading. You guys didn't know that King Tut was the captain of the Titanic? (laughs) No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Me either. So apparently, they found in King Tut's tomb or near King Tut's tomb, they found the sarcophagus of a priestess. You remember when they all killed, or when they would bury the... 
pharaohs, they would bury half their household with them. Yeah, right? I saw that documentary, right. The Mummy. Right. There was a mummy hand or something <laughs> on the Titanic. Brandon Fraser was on the Titanic. Yeah, so... That was Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah, that's right. They found this case. The case, purportedly, was on the Titanic, and the mummy was in England in some museum somewhere. Okay? And so the priestess is all pissed off because the curse. And, you know, they disrupted her burial. They disrupted her eternal sleep. So sunk the Titanic. And then later, several years later, they were able to unwrap her mummy. And on the inside of her mummy wrappings, is that the official term? Mummy wrappings? Is there a <laughs> doc? Is there a term for that? I would assume it's wrapping. Anyway, when they unwrapped it, there was things written on the inside of her wrappings that said anybody that disturbed her rest would be cursed. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that's the story on the internet. Very interesting. I just read a story or watched a thing on YouTube how it's a conspiracy with the Titanic. We could make a whole uh, episode about that. That might be a fun one. That would be fun. One of the things that I read online as I was researching was just the fact that, just for fun, let's say that curses are not a real thing. Okay. Just plain devil's advocate. But even if you believe in it and it doesn't happen, it can still undermine your belief. It can undermine your decision-making. It can kind of cut your self-confidence down. So it can be kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. power of our minds are incredible. If you believe something, oftentimes the placebo effect. Mm-hmm, it, can, it can manifest. And, and True. I believe I've got a million dollars in my bank account. You keep doing that. Will you believe for me too? Yeah. There's a limit to that. There's a limit of things you can believe and have it come to pass. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a a propensity for people to, you know, if you're a believer in curses, as things aren't going right in your life, it's you want to make sense of chaos. You want to find an explanation for why bad things are happening. And sometimes people do. I think they fall into this idea that, oh, I've been cursed. You know, whether whether they have or not, in a lot of ways, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. So let me tell you a little story about my ancestors. This could be a very long story. I will keep it short. But basically, on my dad's side of the family, we have Graham ancestors back in Scotland. You know, you hear of Scotland, and what do you think of? You think of clan wars and, you know, raping and pillaging and burning down barns and, you know, all the all the wars between the clans. And that was a thing. They were called the Border Reavers. And I forget the exact number, but there was like 67 of these families, roughly, that lived on the border of England and Scotland. They were just terrible people. Um, not so much in the Highlands. In the Highlands, they were, you know, respectable. and But down on the borders, not so much. And of and these... those terrible people were your relatives, Yeah, right? they, they were. Oh, yeah. it, it gets worse. Okay. Just, or better. Just checking. So of these 67-ish families, they're all bad. But two of them were really, really bad. The Armstrongs and the Grahams. So see? Things are making sense. (laughs) You're like, hey, I'm starting starting to connect the dots. And they they were just horrible. And I don't know much about the Armstrongs because they're not my family. And I've studied the Grahams a little bit. But the Grahams were really bad. Think Mafia of Scotland, you know, in the 14, 15, 1600s. I mean, they were into money laundering and fraud. And I mean, you think of any crime you could possibly do now, they did it then. Now I'm just picturing the Godfather, but with a Scottish accent. And a kilt. And a kilt. And a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even going to try that. Nope. <laughs> and a horse. And so they did this for years, and everybody was terrified of them. And they had power, they had land, they had money, and nobody could really do anything, Right. So fast forward to King James of the Bible, King James Version, and he came to power and he came in and he says, okay, we got to clear this up. And I'm paraphrasing just in case you wondered. He goes to this area and he takes all these people and he says, okay, you know, we're going to knock this off. I'm stripping you of your land, stripping you of your titles. I'm going to give all your land to my buddies and, and this buddy and this buddy. And 65 of the families were like, okay, you know, and they could stay on as tenant farmers, but that's all they were. Then he took the Armstrongs and the Grams, and he said, Okay, you guys, I'm taking your land too, taking your titles, but you can't stay here as tenant farmers. Y'all got to get out. You're banished. I don't know where the Armstrongs went, but the Grams 
went to Ireland, and they were afraid that people were going to kill them because they have no power, they have no clout anymore, right? And they did have a name called Graham. Called Graham, but they took their name and they flipped it backwards to be Maharg. So if you have Irish Mahargs, they're actually Scottish Grahams. So there you go, a little, little genealogy for you. But you're like, how on earth does this tie into curses? The Grahams were so bad that there was a Presbyterian minister who put a curse on the Grahams. And if you look this up on the internet, he literally curses everything you could possibly think of for the Graham family. It's not like, I curse you. I mean, he cursed, he literally names every body part. <laughs> like a checklist. Oh, I'm talking like eyelashes <laughs> and follicles and the lice in your oh, head wow. and every hair. I mean, your toenail. He literally lists every body part. <laughs> and then he curses their homes. And again, your walls, your windows, your rugs, your cups. He literally curses Every and I'm you know I'm thinking okay in the 1600s you can't have that much stuff. Right? This is a man of the cloth. Like, oh yeah. This is a wow yeah, religious we're, figure. We're not even done yet. And then he curses all their animals. He curses the animals' feed. He curses every possible body part on the on the animals. I mean, this guy did not mess around. What did your grams <laughs> do to this man? I know, he seems right? very pissed. So just so you know, I've got a little bit of a curse on me. Hope it's diluted a bit. Me too. (laughs) Again, that might explain a few things. That's why your dog's fat. Hey, I figured it out. (laughs) It's the curse. (laughs) My dog's fat. The curse of the dog food. (laughs) See? Through the dog door. He cursed the feed. I'm just saying. Oh, seriously. There's. I mean, you read this curse and it almost gets funny as you're reading it. You're like, holy cow, he literally curses everything. And you know that if, if a man is going to go to that depth to just probably took him an hour to recite this curse. Yeah, there's he some probably, intent there. Yeah, I was, yeah, he's got some serious intent behind that. But the interesting thing is, as I was trying to find it, it's really, really, really hard to find those Mahargs in Ireland because I think that curse did follow them to a certain extent because they did not have any land. They did not, I mean, you find one or two, but it's like, hmm, probably more than a handful of you. Didn't flourish, huh? They did not do well. Have you ever heard the last name Mahark? I have. Yeah, just now. But from you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a that's a probably the most serious curse I've ever heard was that one right there. You guys like, let's see. What else can we curse? You probably spent a good amount of time on that. I honestly <laughs> don't think there is I I think he literally thought of everything he could think of. Literally there's nothing he didn't curse. Aside from that one, there is you guys have you guys heard of the Billy Goat curse? I have not. It's from, a sports curse, yes. It is. It's a sports curse. It's the Chicago Cubs. Do you know the story behind it? Uh, I, not off the top of my head, but I do know that the Cubs finally broke said curse, yes. Yeah, and not, and not too long ago in the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew of the curse, but I never knew how it came about. Did you guys know how it came about? No. I'm going to tell you. So in 1945, there was a tavern owner, and his name was William Billy Goat Cyanus. Apparently... Again, this is on the internet, so I'm sure it's 100% true. But apparently, he was prevented from bringing his pet goat, Murphy, to Chicago's Wrigley Field to see the Cubs play. And they were playing the Detroit Tigers for the World Series and was banned from bringing the goat in to watch. Because, you know, I would (laughs) take my goat to the jazz game. Who doesn't want to bring their goat to the World Series, right? (laughs) Goats like baseball. (laughs) Come on. He was upset, and he cursed the Cubs, saying that they wouldn't win this or any other World Series ever again. Yeah, it looks like he, it took 108 years, and they finally broke the curse in 2016. So, very recent. 2016, yeah, very recent. I know that the Cubs did not do well for many, 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 many years. You would watch them, and they were just, they were the worst. Right, so this is similar to the Curse of the Bambino, which apparently began when the Boston Red Sox traded Babe Ruth, and I think they traded him in 1919. This curse ended when they won the World Series in 2004. When they who? The Red Red Sox. 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 And then they won a few more. Yep. And then, I have no idea how this has anything to do with sports, there's also rapper Lil B's curse on Kevin Durant. Lil B. (laughs) Yep. Well, Kevin Durant, he's the basketball guy, right? Is he? Yes. Okay, I guess it does have something to do with sports. 
Okay. Yeah. Sorry. And it what does. Is, what is that curse? So Lil B in 2011 tweeted, and in 2017 put out another tweet. When the Golden State Warriors won the NBA Finals that year, and Durant earning the MVP, the sports media jokingly proclaimed that Little B had helped by lifting the curse. So he, he cursed him in twenty seven in twenty eleven, uh-huh. and then lifted the curse in oh, twenty seventeen. That was nice. And then they won it. And then they won it. What oh. a sweet. But only wow. because Little B right. lifted the curse. Lifted the curse. Otherwise, they'd be. Screwed. It would have never happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Steph man. Curry had nothing to do with it. Absolutely no. not. We're no. cursing people over Twitter now. I mean, geez. Cur- yeah, just intent. That's all you need. How easy mm-hmm. is that? Need some intent. Mail it in, baby. That's right. <laughs> hop on the smartphone and start cursing away, guys. Easy. So, if we move away from yes. sports, there's theater curses. Ah. There's the curse of Macbeth. Have you guys heard of this one? Mm-mm. I actually... I've heard of Macbeth. So, I've actually dealt with this. When I was in college, I went to college at... Uh, Southern University. So I Wait a second. Say the name. Well, where did you go to college again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I want to enroll my children in said university. <laughs> oh, okay. So I went to Southern Utah University in Cedar City. And that's where the Utah Shakespearean Festival is. And if you're listening to this and you're not from Utah, the Utah Shakespearean Festival won the Tony Award, I don't know, a decade ago or so for having just the fabulous Shakespearean festival. And if you ever get a chance, go. They really, really do a great job. And people say to me, I hate Shakespeare. It's so boring. I read it in English. There's a difference between reading it in your 10th grade English class and watching it performed live. Don't they have like a Globe Theater reproduction down they there? They do. They actually have two. They have an old one and then a new one. Wow. But it's it's fabulous. How many Globe Theaters does a person need? Two, apparently. Two. <laughs> you got two, you're good. And there's not a bad seat in there. There really isn't. You can't get a bad seat in there. They're all great. Anyway, but the Curse of Macbeth. So this is a very... And curses, superstitions, I don't know. In the world of theater, it's bad luck to wish an actor good luck, right? And that's why you tell them to break a leg. So that might be more like a superstition as far as a curse. But they said it's also bad luck to say the word Macbeth in the theater except during the performance of Said the play. play. Macbeth. This is because historically tragedy has befallen productions of that play. And so it's interesting. They do have a way, they have a counter curse. Is there another name for a counter curse? It seems like there is. I don't know. A blessing? No. Like a. An antidote? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We'll call it an antidote. I like that. That sounds cooler than anti-curse. So there, there's a there's an antidote, though. If you happen to do it and say Macbeth when you ought not to. Did you like that? Ought not? Ought not? Did it that sound sounds kinda, very English. Did it sound very sounds Shakespearean? Sounds Shakespearean, yes. If you, when you ought not say the name. <laughs> that was more Forrest Gump again. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> ought, ought not. not. You ought not to. Hey, work with me here. It's, it's Shakespeare. If, if you say it and you shouldn't have... And I hope I get this right, because when I was down there, I worked for the Shakespearean Festival, which sounds pretty cool, right? I was, yeah. I was the janitor. I cleaned the bathroom, so it's not as cool as it sounds. Wow. And they didn't have the Tony Award. Yeah, so I, I was involved in a production of Shakespeare. <laughs> I cleaned the bathroom. I cleaned the toilet. <laughs> I was, well, and and I, I was so proud. <laughs> Slap that on the resume, baby. Let's go. <laughs> and I was a poor, starving college student. The couch that was downstairs in like the old theater building... You could get a good, you know, $10 a change out of there over the course of the Shakespearean oh, Festival. Heck yeah. I, I bought a lot of groceries from the change in that couch. Oh. What else did you find in the couch? Um, I don't know. Probably stuff. Probably stuff I don't want to talk about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Used <Okay>. some things. <laughs> anyway, so I think we would I'd want to go through that couch. Probably nice. not. <laughs> sorry, was, sorry. She was a janitor and she, she had those heavy-duty oh, rubber gloves. Oh, she did have the gloves. And I had to clean the couch, right? <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. lots of lots of lots of people sat on that couch and changed a lot. I got I, I made bank out of that one. While I was out doing things near the Globe Theater, the actors would be out there practicing, and it was fascinating watching. The whole process was fascinating, actually. If they said the name, you knew it because they would stop. They would. And I might have this wrong. Someone that's a theater person is going to email and say, that's wrong. But it was something like they would spit and then they would have to turn around three times. So if you, if you said Macbeth when you ought not, 
You ought not to. <laughs> then you have to spit and turn around. You spit and turn times. around three times, and then you're okay. Then the curse is lifted. Fabulous. Saw that all the time. It was happening all the time. And they believe it, and they do it. Okay. Sounds like a lot of paranoia, but hey. Right? It's a uh, curse. And it's if, a you, curse. if you don't follow it, your production is going to just, <laughs> gone. It's a lot of time and effort that goes into those things. I guess spitting on the ground and spinning around a few times. It's an antidote. It's probably worth it. Right. I'm sure. <laughs> and there was one actor when I was down there, and this has been years and years ago, but he was saying it all the time. I thought he was going to get dizzy and just like die one of these days because he was always out there <laughs> just spitting like a top. Like, you're new, aren't you? You're not mm. supposed to do that. I'm the janitor, and I know you're not supposed to say that name. <laughs> and here you are, like, mopping the floor after all these people are spitting on the ground. Ugh. I hate you all. <laughs> I also found out, this has nothing to do with curses whatsoever, but if you mix peanut butter and oil... Wait, where are we going coin, with this? You make fake blood. Right. Oh. oh. I, had to, I had to clean up a lot more fake blood than I had to clean up spit. But they they would make it with peanut. I don't remember. What I just thought you were sharing it. like delicious lunch recipes from the Shakespearean <laughs> festival or something. Let's take a break in our curses talk and let's talk I about really love peanut, peanut butter, butter sandwiches. And we're going to call them blood sandwiches. Oh, hey, that's mm. good. <laughs> yeah. Great. So there's also the curse. Okay, so we've done theater. We've done sports. Why don't we hit a little politics? Politics. Politics sound good? So oh, don't worry, we won't go there, but... The Curse of Tippecanoe. It's also called Tecumseh's Curse. And you know Tippecanoe, Tyler too? The mm-hmm. whole the whole thing with William Henry Harrison? So in the mid-20th century, the media started noticing a pattern in presidential deaths. And it started with William Henry Harrison and ended with John F. Kennedy. And it was every, Maybe. Tw- every 20 years in the, cu- the country elected a president who would die in office. That's not infrequent. Nope. So Harrison was actually the first president to die in office, and he was elected in 1840. And then the other presidents after him was Abraham Lincoln, who was elected in 1860. There was James Garfield, who was elected in 1880. William McKinley was elected in 1900. Warren G. Harding was 1920. Franklin D. Roosevelt in 1940. And JFK, who was elected in 1960. So the only president between Harrison and JFK that kind of missed this curse was Zachary Taylor. And Ronald Reagan. We're just talking about to JFK. JFK, he, Ronald Reagan, almost he was assassinated. He almost... He, well, he was shot, yes. Well, yeah, no, he, he had an attempted assassination. Why am I on the show? Why do I do this? I, I <laughs> How come you guys haven't fired me yet? Holy cow. So after JFK. Because you're the producer. Uh, Chad's the producer. I'm oh. the director. She's the, direct- oh, the director. director for sure. Now you're the director. Well, you have to file your, or fire yourself. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Honestly. So in the 1930s, Ripley's Believe It or Not, do you guys remember that show? I do. I love that show. That is a great show. And, and the books. The books. And there's a museum in there Jackson is. Hole. There used to be. It's gone now. Is it gone? Uh, it but I did museum. just go to a Ripley's Believe It or Not museum in Texas. They have one in San Antonio, and they have one in the Dallas area. And I've seen one in Oregon. They I need to bring the one Newport. back to Jackson Hole. They're, they're amazing. Anyway, if you get a chance, go. They're awesome. But they claimed that the pattern was due to a curse from a Shawnee chief, Tecumseh, that was placed on Harrison and future presidents after Harrison's troops defeated Tecumseh in the Battle of Tippecanoe. Wow. All right. So, there you go. That was Ripley's claim. Yes. Believe it. Or not. There you go. (laughs) Who was the guy that that, um, narrated that? Jack Palance. He was awesome. He could do one-armed push-ups at the Oscars. Yes, he could. Do you remember that? Yes. No. Rogue is looking at me like, I think you've lost it. I have no idea. That's all. That's all. Didn't he do it like he was 80 years old when he did that, right? Yeah. He was like super old. Hmm. Was it there on the stage doing one-armed push-ups? Interesting. He was curly in Sleety Slickers. Nice. Okay. Uh, City Slickers too. I think both. <laughs> Yay, it's not just me. Because wasn't it Curly's Curse? Oh, my goodness. There's something in the water here today. The last one we'll kind of chat about is the Hope Diamond Curse. How big is the Hope Diamond? The Hope Diamond, for a long time, they thought it was 44 carats. Is that the Smithsonian, right? 
Yes, it's currently I at the Smithsonian. I've seen I was going to say, I think I've seen it. Yeah. Right. So for the longest time, they thought it was 44.6 carats, and apparently it's 45.2. Oh. Wow. Who so, could have made such an awful miscalculation there? So just so you know, don't mess that up. Okay. The belief behind it was anybody who owned it was cursed and got bad luck. And it changed hands a bazillion times. And Did they talk about the origin? I thought it had something to do with taking, like plucking a jewel from like a Hindi, Indian, an Indian Hindu. goddess statue or something. Yeah, there was a French gem dealer named Jean-Baptiste Tavnier. I hope I said that right. And it was about the 1660s. It says that the diamond of unknown origin was obtained during a trip to India. He's just like, hey guys, I found this. Look what I found. (laughs) Sorry to have been cutting everything. Wow. But it does say that a myth had started by the 20th century that said he stole it from the statue of a Hindu goddess. And the newspapers and jewelers kind of... Talked that up. Talked it up and ramped it up to kind of bring some mystique behind it. But it's one of those things. Is there really a curse or just the fact that people tell you a curse makes it cursed? Right. And to that point, we were talking about curses, so I've been doing some research. Uh, It is incredible the number of haunted or cursed objects you can find on Etsy and eBay. And a lot of it makes you... You can find profiles that will say, oh, this clown doll has the following attributes from a child that's whatever trapped within it or you know a spirit that's there and it made me wonder i'm willing to bet overwhelmingly most of these objects it's probably total bs but uh i think as long as the buyer attributes that power to it there's probably some potential for problems exactly again it's all about belief and intent and you know someone says i want to sell this for 10 times more than it's worth. Mm. I'm going to say it's cursed. Yeah, exactly. And apparently there's a market for this because you can go to reviews and they're like, oh, this doll I bought that's haunted is so cute and plays little games and stuff, which I don't know if that's something I want to be screwing with. Right. (laughs) Right. And for me, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm not going to buy that one. Next. Yeah, I don't support our viewers going to eBay and looking for a haunted clown doll. Yeah, Sounds like a bad idea. It, it, it really sad. does sound like a very bad idea. John Zaffris, did I say his name right? John Zaffris, thank, yes. Thank you. The most common doll in his museum are, are the clown dolls. Did he talk about why? I guess we can wait till our next podcast for this. You're going to have to listen co- to the bonus podcast to get the answer to this question. That was just a spoiler. Right? Exactly. So, any more that we want to delve into curses? So, I just wanted to throw my little... Um, Mediterranean part into that. Um, So when you told me about curses, I actually wear an evil eye on my necklace. It's something that my mom wears on her necklace from, again, the island of Malta in the Mediterranean. But as I looked into the curse of the evil eye, it goes back into Hindu. It's a very, very old curse. And it's one that is put on people when they don't even realize it. Um, It's one created off of envy so even seeing my mom yesterday and i told her i was going to have this conversation she does this to me not that any of you all can see this (laughs) this thing um this little hand movement um that's supposedly putting the curse on you and then so for us to wear this little jewel on it 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 gives it we notice it and we send it back so this is my protector from the evil eye. It's interesting you mention the evil eye because you see that, like you said, in a lot of cultures with a lot of our Latinos that I see at the hospital. It's called mal de ojo, same thing, the evil okay. eye. And it is actually a medical diagnosis. I can find that on my ICD codes when I put in diagnoses. Mal de ojo is on there. The evil eye. <laughs> the evil eye. Oh, wow. Which I don't know. I don't know what billing's like for that. But, right? What but, insurance code is that <laughs> one? <laughs> like, I don't know that evil eyes are going to fly for this. You're not going to get reimbursed. But I was surprised to see it was on there. You know, it was one of those things where I had a patient that said, oh, I think my daughter is sick because of mal de ojo. And the way that they look at it is that envy thing. A lot of times they worry that if they look at like a baby and they think it's cute, that they, they have to come out, they have to go up and touch it basically to to undo the envy that was placed on that child and if you don't get the opportunity the child may get sick oh oh wow and so if you ever see little 
Latina grandmas coming up and touching your babies, it's probably because they thought your baby was cute, cute. and didn't want to have any harm come to it. So they come up and touch it. Mm. So they're not being creepy? They're not being creepy. It's just a cultural thing. Um, <laughs> but I was quite surprised to find out that this was listed as a diagnosis. Oh, that's interesting. That so. is interesting. So something to make the patient feel more at ease so they're yeah. not loco, right? <laughs> I assume. I don't know. That is interesting. I also wonder if you don't bill for it. They just see it on their outpatient (laughs) (laughs) discharge sheet. I'm sure no insurance company is going to be like, sure, mal de ojo, we'll go with Mm. that. Probably something else like fever or, you know, vomiting (laughs) (laughs) might be a little better. Um, But, hey, if you throw mal de ojo on there as a diagnosis, it does actually show up. Interesting. No, I just, I think just the whole premise behind intent and, and, and belief is interesting with curses. You're on. So it is time for our paranormal bucket list, and we have Sylvia with us. Sylvia is one of our team members, and as part of our bucket list series, we want everyone to meet everyone on the team. So this is Sylvia, and Sylvia, what is your bucket list? So my bucket list would be, well, location I would definitely love to go visit would be the Winchester Mystery House. Amazing. Definitely <laughs> yes. one of mine, too. I was just going to say, have you been there? Duh, no, it's on your bucket list. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes I've been I can... there. <laughs> Lucky. But it was like in 1980. Oh. So have you seen the movie? I have, yes. That was kind of cool. It was. And I love Helen Mirren. She's just amazing with all these other movies that she's done. So She did. She did a great job yes. with that. I, I thought that movie. I mean, like everything, it was a little Hollywoodized, a little, little you know, dramatized. Right. Yes. But that, to me, just... The fact that you could, I would love to just be able to wander that house free. Yes. And I, I'm just fascinated with stairs and even secret passageways. That's oh, what would make it amazing to and go And just, visit. you know, I look at my house and I've got, you know, three little, you know, well, three little, just there's this room, there's this room, there's yes. this room, there's this room. But just to go, I'm going to go up these stairs and it goes nowhere. nowhere. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> See, we had the same word. Right. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Oh, it might go somewhere. It might go 30 feet down. Oh, right. Oh, yes. So... <laughs> Watch those window doors. That's for sorry. Sure. I totally took over your bucket list. You oh, keep no, going. That's okay. That's all right. That's so okay. have you ever gotten close? Like almost there? Yes. Well, I went to Reno. This was like almost six years ago, and I was thinking maybe I could just have that little side trip to go over there. But the family decided they wanted to go to San Francisco. I'm like, okay. I mean, we could try to do Alcatraz, but um, tickets were all gone at that oh. one time. So. <laughs> Well, hopefully, we've actually talked as a team about maybe trying to go there to the Winchester house one of these times, you know. And then COVID happened. So, I don't know. When COVID lifts and gets California's a little more open, maybe we'll try to do that again. I'm so down for that, yes. So, (laughs) So, we we did, and going to the Winchester Mystery House would be somewhat similar to what we did when we went to the Stanley Hotel, Mm -hmm. which was really fun. Yeah, we did that as a group. It was great as a group. Yeah, amazing. It was awesome. <laughs> so, well, thank you. And we hope to have Sylvia on again more. Perfect. Thank you guys so thank much you. for having me here. <laughs> so, do we have a paranormal junk drawer or anything, Raven? We do. And I love this paranormal junk drawer. As I rattled around and reached in and moved everything around in the junk drawer, I found a man. His name is Louis Monton. And he is a very wealthy French property developer at the turn of the 19th century. So from the 19th to the 20th. He died in 1905. And he had built this really, really fancy, beautiful mansion. And he built the mansion on top of an old, like the ruins of a castle from the 1600s of the Bourbon family. And the Bourbon family in France is where all of the current kings that, that we know of you know, King Louis and all the Louis, there's a million of them. That's the family line that they came through. So he builds this mansion on a ruined castle from those people. Okay. We'll, we'll come back to that. Just remember that. He actually bequeathed this mansion to the, the city administration in his will. It's like, when I die, I want my mansion to go to the city and I want you to preserve it just how it is kind of as a, as a time capsule. I want people to see, you know, 100, 200 years from now, I want people to see what life was like as a bourgeois Frenchman in, 19, you know, in the early 1900s. I mean, I'm sure he didn't know exactly when he was going to die. But he wanted it to be a museum because he was obsessed with time. He was kind of obsessed with death and time, like how time passed. And he could see, hey, things, you know, in, 19, you know, in the 1900s, he's thinking, I can tell that things are 
you know, state of the art now compared to the 1500s. You know, what are things going to be like two, three hundred years from now? So he wanted it kind of kept as a time capsule. And the city didn't necessarily say, we're going to lock this down and no one's going to go in. It's just no one happened to go in uh, for 110 years. They opened it up in 2016, I think, and it was locked down in uh, 1905. So not quite 110 years. But no one went in. And the interesting thing is, even when France was occupied by the German forces during World War II, they didn't even go in. I mean, this literally, nobody has gone inside this building for 110 years. It's been shuttered, windows closed, doors locked. Nobody's gone in. They decided, we're going to go ahead and open it. And they were actually able to... The the man who did a, a YouTube video on it, if you want to see this YouTube video, it's called French Mansion Unlocked After 110 Years. There's two parts. The first is kind of some history behind it. The second is a walkthrough. And kind of the rumor going around town was that this guy, and I don't know why, I don't know if he was creepy, they didn't go into that, but the town thought that it was locked up because he had a whole bunch of skeletons hidden there. And so they, they thought that's why it's that's why it's all locked up. You know, it was big. They thought, oh, it's got skeletons in all these rooms. And I'm thinking, ooh, <laughs> skeletons in his closet. So Literally. He died at age 54. He didn't have any kids. He was not married. And he only lived in the mansion for about eight years. The Bourbon family, if you research them at all, one of their, I mean, any royalty in that time is just going to be full of scandal and, you know, all the all the stuff that, you know, so there's going to be some energy there. But apparently in this castle, Queen Margot, or Margot, I don't know how you say it, Margot, she was, she was quite the, the character. She actually was quite a, a good lady, but she, she was very intelligent for the late 1500s, early 1600s era. She was politically savvy, and sometimes she would side against the king, and he didn't like that, and... They describe her as a woman of many letters, which I think is uh, learned degrees. degrees. And, and she was actually very highly schooled and very smart. She was also extremely generous, but they painted her as being incestuous and like a pedophile and having an affair. I mean, they really painted her when she would go against this other. I'm not trying to recount all of French history for you, just <laughs> FYI. <laughs> But she would go against the king and some of his political moves, and she was high enough up because she was a she was a queen for heaven's sakes. And then she was sterile, so she couldn't give you know she couldn't have any babies. And so she finally got granted a divorce because kings want babies, right, so that they can keep their kingly line going. But she would kind of fight against the the politics of the time anyway. She got kind of shamed. But I just think with all of this kind of intrigue going on where where this mansion's built, there's some there's some energy there, definitely some energy. So they open it up. It actually, no skeletons. Ooh. There was, there is a skull that they show, but whether it's a real skull or not, I don't know, didn't say. But the interesting thing is he had some cabinets of curiosities is what they call it. The and owner did. The owner did. And in there were two stuffed frogs fighting a duel. It's kind of like this panorama. It's under it like this glass ball. Do they show it to you when you're on YouTube? They do. Really? It's in both videos. In the second video, it's kind of awesome because there's one frog that's like standing up with a sword and then the other one's like laying down on its back. And in the video, they do kind of this CGI blood <laughs> dripping out of him. It's a little creepy. This sounds mm-hmm. like the kind of crap rich people would spend money on. Right? Just saying. Oh, it gets better. better to do. <laughs> it gets better. He also has a rat playing a violin. Great. And he's got like jars of snakes floating in oil. Because why not? Exactly. Why not? Uh, he also had, yeah, snakes and jars and skulls. It was kind of creepy. Some creepy stuff in there. There was a room that had pink amour wallpaper on it, and they say that that was he had a friend who was having an ongoing affair with a married woman, and that's where they would go to to, to hang out. And there's a painting of a winking woman, and this is apparently another reference to this clandestine love affair of this woman that's winking at you. Kind of an interesting place. I would love to go ghost hunt there. Could be fun. Let's plan a trip. Because, I mean, it's been closed up, closed up for 110 years. You know that there's going to be ghosts there anyway. Okay. So in the middle of France is on top of ruined castle areas. There's dueling frogs and stuffed mice and snakes. I mean, and then any spirits that are going to be in there, they're going to be like, this is our house because literally there's no one else in here. 
and so they're they're hardcore thinking it's their place and so I want to go there but I highly suggest that y'all go and look at this YouTube video again it's called French Mansion Unlocked After 110 Years it's fascinating they don't have very many pictures of like right when they opened it the guy who put the YouTube video together said he asked for them and couldn't get them there's a couple but they do show a walkthrough in video too and it's really pretty it's really cool So is it a museum now then? I believe so. You can walk through it, but you just can't get pictures of right when they opened it. They did say there was tons of bugs and like threadbare carpets and the wallpaper was falling off. So I'm sure it wasn't very pretty when they first opened the doors. Right. Right. But the stuffed frogs and rats are still there. Perfect. That's all I care about. And snakes in jars. (laughs) Perfect. So there you go. All right. We're still putting together some questions for an answer your questions episode. I really enjoy these because people ask questions that I never think about. And you get to talk about things that you might never have thought about. So keep sending in your questions. And as soon as we get a few more, we'll put together an episode that's just answer your questions. That's always fun. And lastly, get your Supernatural Hour swag at advancedparanormal.com. Go to the Merchandise tab. It'll take you to the Teespring page and you can get all sorts of things. T-shirts, mugs. I have a tapestry now. Tapestries. So now I need to see if there's hats on there. If there's not, I'm going to add them. I'm pretty sure there's hats. Because I think I need a hat now. I've got a tapestry. I can't can't want that now. Okay. So anyway, go out there. Get your Supernatural Hour swag through our page on advancedparanormal.com. Stay spooky, my haunty friends. We'll see you next time. Bye. See you later. Bye. You've been listening to the Supernatural Hour at advancedparanormal.com. The Supernatural Hour is part of the Radio Ronin Network, found at RadioRonin.com. Copyright 2021 by Advanced Paranormal Services.